our series today as we talk about the um, divine signs that keep you heaven bound. We've been talking about rediscovering the resurrection and the importance of it, the, the power of the re- resurrection in, in our life and how to defend it. But today I want to talk to you about divine signs, divine signs that God has given us that keep us heaven bound. And I'd like for us to look at all, first of all, just in a topical way here in 1 Peter um, chapter 1, just three verses here in verses 3 to 6. Here we go. Um, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For in his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Look at all that stuff there. Talking about our new birth, which is of course referring to the cross, and also the resurrection of Jesus. How essential those two play together, work together in God's plan for us. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, and, or fade, which of course is talking about eternal life and our life in heaven. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is already to be revealed in the last time. Of course, talking about the second coming of Jesus and the, the judgment of God. And all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. Well, like I say it in a topical way because Peter gives us some good information here of how important it is that we, these signposts, these signs that God gives us um, as far as the cross goes and the empty tomb and also then the coming judgment to keep us on track, to help keep us on track. When we, uh, you know, when we drive, uh, Becky and I, we oftentimes drive in cities, congested cities. And when we moved to Indianapolis, uh, uh, what, back in the early 2000s, we had to get used to driving in, in, in congested cities. I mean, we were used to that before. We lived in Houston before and in the Detroit area, so we, we were used to that. But yet, uh, we'd kind of gotten out of the habit of it because we lived in the country in a small town for a number of years. And then now we were con- put back in Indianapolis and just learning. And I remember how it made Becky nervous and our kids, uh, they were just learning to drive. They were nervous, but then they got used to it. A lot of times um, when you're driving, someplace when you're un- what you're unfamiliar, with, you really pay close attention, don't you, to the signs, to the signs, especially if you got many roads merging, you know, you got many roads merging together, and you think, oh boy, oh boy, and I'm over here, but it says in one mile, I've got to be over there, or maybe half a mile, I've got to be on the opposite side of the highway, which might be four to six lanes, and you somehow, in congestion, I've got to get over there, I don't have much time. You, how many knows the feeling? Yeah. You know, when you just think and, and you got to pay close attention. Sometimes I'm not paying close attention and Becky is. And so she's giving me little pinches, little nudges and trying not to tell me how to drive in the same time. But uh, I have to humble myself and realize that I need advice from that's why God gave me a wife to be my helper. And um, and she does see things that I, I don't see a lot of times. And uh, And there's been times, you know what? I missed it. I missed it. And that can be really frustrating because sometimes the only way, the, the next possibility of getting off the road you're on and is five miles down the road. That's happened to me before. Five miles and then you're able to turn around and come back. But if you don't, you're going the wrong direction. <laughs> you're not going to get where you're supposed to go. And God does that with us. He gives us, his word is such a guide, such a lamp to us. He gives us signposts, guide, uh, guideposts uh, to, to keep us on track 
And he wants us to remember them. And if you get off track, if all, all of a sudden you realize that you're off track in your Christian walk, it's because you've probably forgotten about the cross to a degree, and you've probably forgotten about the resurrection, and you've probably forgotten about the, you know, the importance of remembering that someday we'll give an account to God for our lives. Those are, the, again, the three major signposts that God has given us uh, here in the last days. Amen. Well, let's, let's think about that. And as far as, as we living in our culture here, as what's, what, how important those, those divine signs are that keep us heaven bound. You know, the longer one lives, the more one realizes that this earthly life is uh, really fragile and really uncertain. I was reading about a guy by the name of, I'd never heard of him before, but uh, I don't know, Kim, this may not be working. You might have to help me. The, the meaning of life. Uh, Franz Kafka, he was a German writer. Uh, Kafka, he said, uh, he wrote this, he actually quoted this many times, said the meaning of life is, it ends. That's the meaning of life, is that it ends. And for most people, it ends too soon. In the early years of my ministry, I remember I was asked to conduct weddings all the time. I did so many weddings, wedding after wedding after wedding, you know, and um, a lot of Saturdays were filled up. There was sometimes, it seemed like every Saturday, I was booked for a, a wedding for a while uh, in the early years of my ministry. And I, I got, I don't know, similar 120-some weddings that I've done or something like that. And I've noticed that... Um, uh, I've noticed here uh, slowly over the last 20 years, funerals have overtaken the requests. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of strange, but uh, it's been a strange kind of conundrum to me that funerals have overtaken the requests for my services because uh, um, I've got about 200 of those. And so, boy, I've got to catch up with these weddings. No, we, we, that's, may, I don't, there's, there's probably a reason for that, but, you know. Maybe they want a younger person to do a wedding or something. I don't know. But uh, um, I tell you, uh, somebody told me that uh, the older you get, the more times you go to the funeral home. You'll start frequenting the funeral home more and more. You know, and that's, that has been so true. When we are young and our personal death is something we casually acknowledge is possible, but still we think it's something that is far away. You know, we think it's far away. And even if it is 70, 80, or 90 years away from us, it comes all too soon when it's finally standing on the doorstep of our lives. The oldest book in the Bible is the book of Job. And Job asked the question in Job 14, 14, he asked this question here, if a man dies, shall he live again? And ever since the day that the sentence of death was pronounced by the Creator upon Adam and Eve, upon their lives, due to their rebellion against God. It was called the curse of sin. Um, ever since that day, death has been an enemy to us, the Bible says. And that someday, death will be actually thrown into the lake of fire. The concept, the principle of death will be thrown away, if, which the Bible says is our final en enemy. It's our final enemy. Because we, create, we sin, the Bible says, but sin always leads to death. So death is the final enemy. And we wonder, 
about life after death. It's, uh, it's a deeply theological and practical question. And as many of you know, uh, my father uh, for the last, uh, well, has had slow dementia for the past five years. And it's taking a toll on him now weekly. I can see a difference. I see him weekly. Um, and I can, I can tell things are changing more rapidly now. And he, uh, he uh, did know how to answer Job's question. My dad didn't know how, he did know how to answer that question. He's walked with the Lord 70 plus years. And, um, you know, what about life after death? But he has now forgotten. It saddens us, but he has now forgotten. And we have to remind him that he will see his Heavenly Father someday. And that Christ holds him securely. Becky just did that on Wednesday. On was it Wednesday? I guess it was Thursday. Uh, Becky just uh, she was able to go with me, and and uh, she reminded Dad that he was safe and that he was bound for heaven. Job did by faith. He answered that question, and I'd like to read it to you in a couple different versions because it's really neat. In Job chapter 19, he says, "But as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and He will stand upon the earth at last." This is the. Uh, New Living Translation. And after my body has decayed, yet in my body I will see God. I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. I am overwhelmed at the thought, James, uh, John, uh, Job says. And then in the New King James ver- Version up, up here. Um, for I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another. Oh, how my heart yearns within me. <laughs> so for Dad, I, right now what I do, I, I hold his hand and, and help him to see and remind him of his Redeemer. Just as he did for me many years ago, holding my hand when I was a little boy and helping me to see Jesus. And that's actually true for all of us, isn't it? That's actually true for all of us, loved ones. As we travel together along this narrow path that the Bible calls the narrow road of Christ, we encourage one another, don't we? We need one another. We need each other's help. We we are not meant to be an island alone uh, trying to serve the Lord, but we are meant to be the body of Christ. And we need each other on on this path to heaven. And together, we encourage each other. We bear each other's burdens. We're, we're helping, we remind one another about heaven if we have forgotten, like I tried to do with my father. And uh, we also help each other see the signposts. We try to remind each other of the cross and the empty tomb and realizing exactly what Paul told the Philippians. Remember Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And I'm certain that God, who began this good work within you, will continue to work until it finally is finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Amen. Uh, this time of year, um, you're probably going to see here, and I don't know if you've ever had experience, uh, a corn maze or not. Anyone ever gone through a corn maze? Yeah, okay, Mike has, yeah. I remember a, a corn maze. I, I, I don't know if there's a lot of them around here, but I remember as a young, as a teen, our youth group would go to the local corn maze and we'd always pick out a victim. There would be maybe one, one or two victims that we would blindfold 
and then lead them into this corn maze, you know, uh, where we were, we were understanding how to get out, but we knew they wouldn't, you know, we took them all, all the way to the, to the center of it, and then took the blind, well, first then we, we didn't take the blindfold off, we, we left them there, and then they were supposed to take it off after a few moments, and try to find their way out, you know, they always did. They always did. They always found a way out. It wasn't that huge of a... It wasn't nearly as big as that. That would be complicated right there. Wouldn't it? Man, that would be a toughie. They put you right here. You're trying to find your way out. That might take you a while to do that. You know? Might take the person a while who went in there <laughs> to, to uh, deposit them there in, 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 the, in the center to, uh, to get out as well. But you know what? Um, Usually that, that wasn't too uh, bad of a deal. It was, it was tricky, but it was fun, and the maze wasn't huge. And uh, plus, you really weren't lost, you know, because, you know, was, you could hear people's voices, and you knew there was other people around. But let me tell you something. Getting lost can be terrifying. If you've ever gotten lost, really lost, it can be terrifying, and even deadly. Twice, I can recall getting lost in a large wilderness um, in Canada. I remember getting lost in the wilderness there, and I didn't realize it. One time down in Tennessee, I was lost in the woods. But I didn't realize it, uh, that I was lost, until suddenly, trying to get back, no landmark looked familiar. It looked different walking this way than it does this way, you know, and I thought, how am I going to get, I am twisted around, and I'm by myself here, what am I going to do? I don't have a compass. I'm not even sure which the woods are. The trees are so tall. The woods are so dense and thick. I thought, boy, and it's getting dark. <laughs> of course, you know, it's getting, it gets, the darkness is descending. And um, again, I didn't realize I was lost till suddenly no landmarks look familiar. And uh, panic begins to kind of creep in, doesn't it, upon your mind. And you're lost without any signposts. Without sign, that's why God gives us signposts in this world. That we're not home in heaven yet, so He gives us signposts. He gives us signposts of faith uh, and truth from, from His Word to guide our lives, to keep us on track. And by, by the way, I did make it out of the woods, so uh, everything seems to be good. But, uh, but it was pretty touch and go there for a while. I was going to spend the night there, I thought for sure. But... Um, Loved ones, one of my main concerns uh, for you, for my brothers and sisters in Christ, is that they suddenly find themselves lost in a culture that is closing in upon them, and they feel lost with no spiritual landmarks to run to for needed faith, for needed courage, for needed strength and perseverance. Last week, Becky and I again had the blessing of being with over uh, 1,000 pastors and leaders at this Answers in Genesis Pastors Conference um, down in Williamstown, Kentucky at the Ark Encounter. And if you've never visited the Ark Encounter or the Creation Museum, I really want to encourage you to go. There's only three hours from here. It's not that, not that bad. But you'll really like it. You'll really learn. You'll be blessed by it. It's really worth going to. Uh, the, the theme of the conference was, was this. It was... Uh, it had to do with uh, contending for a biblical worldview. Contending for a biblical worldview. As the scriptures encourage us to contend for the faith. To, uh, we did a lot of sitting, like I said, intense listening. It was kind of like having your cup down at the base of Niagara Falls trying to put it in. It was that kind of thing, you know, trying to get a drink out of all this amount of information that you're being uh, 
inundated with. But the overwhelming and the imperative message was the need for the American church to be awakened to the fact that the government and our culture are now more boldly than ever denying the Bible. More boldly now than ever, particularly denying Genesis 1 through 11. Because it's in Genesis 1 through 11 we had the foundation of everything we believe in our faith. It's not spelled out specifically there, but the principles are there. All the way from what sin is, to our need for a savior, to why we have, you know, a, 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 a work week, to why we wear clothes, to all those kind of things. They're the foundation for our faith is in Genesis 1 to 11, to, to the genders, to, to that God made male and female, and that's all. I mean, and, and all the holy, holy that, the earth, that the Lord's going to make the earth at last until Jesus returns. All those principles of, our, of our, what we believe are in Genesis 1 to 11. And that is what has come under the severest attack. And it has been going on for a long time with the whole issue of Darwinian evolution, that kind of thing. But it's even more so today with the sexual revolution that we see just taking really... Uh, it's been coming slowly, but since COVID, it has just avalanched uh, major, in a major way in our culture in America. It's uh, denying you know, that the foundation of truth that supports our salvation in Christ. Denying and rebelling against everything that the Creator, our God, Creator God, established in the Scriptures. And since He is being denied, now the only thing we can do is make up our own truth. And we call it science. We make up our own truth. Matter of fact, we deny His truth. And sometimes now we're even denying science that we know to be true. Well, we've, uh, we've redefined marriage, no longer just between a man and a woman. We are redefining what constitutes gender and sexual perversion. We're redefining what is, what, what immorality means. Uh, rejecting God's guidelines in Scripture are, well, God's guidelines are out. They're no longer valid. Homosexuality, bisexuality, transsexuality, and even bestiality is on, the, is on the horizon. These things are now the accepted as norm and people have the right to be what they want to be and you can select what pronouns you wish to be called. And even in a Michigan courtroom, I don't know if you heard about that, the Michigan Supreme Court um, a couple of weeks ago passed legislation that now they have to follow the every court in the state of Michigan has to follow the selected pronouns uh, the plaintiff or defendant have chosen to, to, to use. Uh, I'm thinking that's going to backfire on them. That's going to be so funny as they somebody w picks out some weird pronoun, you know, like Dipsy Doodle or something. You know what I mean? It's it just some boy they have to respond to the people. <laughs> Some silly word. Oh, it's, it's going to be funny. But anyway, um, what is weird too, that even pedophilia is slowly being introduced as, accept as an acceptable sexual orientation. And you can find these articles in some major, major, book, uh, major ma magazines, USA Today. Uh, TED speakers are advancing this whole thought of the making pedophilia a normal sexual uh, orientation. 
Sadly, it may surprise us to know that the American Library Association is one of the farthest left-leaning organizations in America today. Its uh, president makes no bones about it. She is a self-proclaimed Marxist lesbian. She, she said it. I'm a Marxist les lesbian. Her goal is basically to, basically to spread the influence of woke philosophy, which that, and that's an umbrella that covers a lot of different things that are going on. Critical race theory, I mean, uh, um, you know, climate change, all, all these different things. It's kind of woke. Woke is an is a umbrella that covers all, all those things. And right now, um, her goal is basically, basically to spread the influence of this woke philosophy throughout education. Her name is Emily Grabinski. And thus, that's why you've been seeing the introduction of drag queen reading programs, entertainment, and public libraries. Some states have already severed ties with the American Library Association. Montana has, Missouri, Texas. The left wants to make our children into woke simpletons. After the great flood, I pass that on to you. Yeah, after the great flood, you remember what God told Noah and his family as they had made a sacrifice and they were now to go and be fruitful in the earth again. He said, And the Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice and said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of the human race, even though everything they think or imagine is bent toward evil from childhood. I will never again destroy all living things. And of course, later we know that he met the flood by, by water. As long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. So in other words, little ones, no one is going to destroy the earth except God. No one's going to destroy the earth until God brings the second judgment. The Creator says the earth will endure until He says differently. However, He's wrong. He's wrong. And climate change is all that matters. Saving the planet from ourselves. Say, PD, don't you think climate change is real? Well, there's a lot of political deception in all of that that you have to weed through. We might, and we'll touch on something like on, the, on the principles behind that in a minute, but my, my understanding is that climate has always changed over the decades of the history of the world. And shouldn't we, shouldn't we take care of the earth, PD? Well, sure we should. We shouldn't be pouring toxins in the air and we shouldn't be pouring toxins in the water. I, I mean, I don't want to drink that or breathe it. I mean, I can tell when they're spraying crops around here, you know, it burns your lungs and, you know, has an effect on you. So, yeah, I don't think we ought to be doing that for, you know, for sure. But that's not what climate change is about, loved ones. Climate change is about the elite changing laws in such a way where they control people, control the agenda. They're controlling people's lives, controlling the economy putting the squeeze and control on every corporation and on every individual with these ESG scores, these environmental, social, and go governance scores. Martin Isles, uh, Australian lawyer, commentator, and preacher, informed us that in Australia, it is now illegal for anyone to condemn homosexuality, transgenderism, any kind of sexual perversions, it is illegal to do it. You will be condemned, you will lose your occupation, and you will be arrested. And then he said, from what he can see, America is about 10 years behind 
where Australia is right now. So persecution is coming to our country. You thought it never could with our Constitution. But we have to keep fighting against this. We have to be aware of it and stand up for what our founders, how our founders established our country. Now I know what I've said this morning um, may have upset some and even angered others, but you know, I think pastors, shouldn't you be fo- should we really be focused on the cultural evils of our day? Loved ones, may I tell you kindly that that type of thinking is part of the reason for the spiritual confusion that exists today in the church. And people, young people particularly, have exited the church all across America because the church is not providing answers for the cultural problems that they are experiencing. The things that they get told at school, public school, the things they get told, you know, uh, from the media, is uh, they have looked to the church for answers from the Bible. And so many times we don't have the answers for them. Um, we tell them that, you know, it's, all that's important is that they believe on Jesus, but they need to know more than that. They need to know how God, what God has given them, what, how God has made the earth, how God has created the world, how God has designed things. Remember, Jesus, he's not the best answer. He's the only one. They, they need to understand the importance of that, of that truth. Um, but by not recognizing and acknowledging the cultural evils that assail our people, we just cannot offer them a better a more meaningful alternative. We can't offer them the truth of God's word because that is the alternative. That, that is the only hope. So often the world smiles at us while it holds a rope behind its back waiting to tie us up or holding a dagger ready to, ready to stab us. Warning, warning you of cultural evils that surround us is imperative, loved ones. Uh, Jesus even taught us to be what? Wise as serpents, but what? innocent or harmless as doves. Amen. In First Chronicles chapter 12, I think it's the next scripture here for you. This was quite a compliment given to the men of Issachar. Quite a compliment here. In First Chronicles 12, 32. This scripture is, is given during a time of great upheaval in the land of Israel. Saul King Saul was chasing King David all over the, all over the countryside. Uh, king David was the newly anointed king by Samuel, and, and Saul was trying to track down David and kill him, of course. And various groups and tribes were joining the side of David. They kind of seen, they, 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 they actually saw, you know, the, you know, the circumstances that were happening, and they, they saw that David was God's blessed one, and so they were joining uh, King David in, in, his, in his attempt to rule the country, and they were joining his army to fight not only King Saul, but also the surrounding enemies of the area. And suddenly, out of all this list of men that is listed here in First Chronicles chapter 12, these list of tribes, uh, suddenly out of this, we, we see this one particular tribe joining David here in 12, 1 Chronicles 12, 32. And look what it says. From the tribe of Issachar, there were 200 leaders of the tribe with their relatives. All these men understood the signs of the times and knew the best course for Israel to take. Now that's an interesting verse. Because out of all those people, for some reason, the Holy Spirit showed us that something was unique about the tribe of Issachar. Something was, and it actually goes, went back, you know, uh, 
few hundred years to the time when Jacob actually blessed Issachar when Jacob was getting ready to die. They were all down in Egypt, you remember. Um, it's very interesting here. It's, it's, uh, it's most evident at this time that, by this time, that, that uh, well, um, I should, maybe I'll just give you a little history first of Issachar. That he was, the fifth, he was the fifth son of Jacob and Leah, and he was the ninth son overall in, in, amongst the twelve, the twelve uh, uh, sons of Jacob. And in Genesis 49, 14, Jacob, he blessed Issachar as one who was wise, observant, and hardworking. Issachar had four sons, and he went with his father into Egypt where he died and was buried. And afterward, his descendants formed uh, one of the tribes of Israel, of course. And by the end of the wanderings of Israel, when they went into the promised land, there was like, they were like 60,000 fighting men of Issachar. Well, now, you know, shoot ahead, uh, you know, a few hundred years here, and, and all of a sudden it's, it's evident by the time of David, uh, Issachar had grown to about 90,000. They were known uh, supremely for their wisdom. It was even noted in the Talmud uh, that the wisest members of the Sanhedrin were actually from Issachar. Hmm. Let's just look at the nature of their wisdom here just a second. Um, this ne next slide here, please. That they knew the signs of the times and how best to live in light of them. Now, that's a powerful statement. They, and that's powerful and important. That, and this should be our prayer. This should be a, good, this be a good prayer for us to pray. Lord, help us know the signs of the times. Help us to know what's going on around us. You know, uh, open our minds. Help us to read. Help us to, to, to listen. Uh, not just to be fed, fed news, you know, from the, you know, from the media. Help us to be discerning. Discerning of what, of what the truth really is. And it said they knew the signs, and then they knew also how best to live. So there's two different things that we need to look at. First, we need to be, do our best to understand the sign of the times. To know the signs of the times is more, again, just than reading the headlines or reading what comes over, you know, your tweets. Or it's, it's, it's knowing what is significant among uh, the happenings of our world, the events that are going on, the movements, the trends, the, the ideologies, the, the worldviews, the things that are being pushed, you know. It's knowing what's, what's trying to shape us. You know, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to shape our minds to think like they think. They're trying to shape our lives. They're trying to, and churches are falling into it. There's churches that, that, are, that are falling into some of these trends, um, the, all the way from the, the social justice to the, uh, you know, to the climate change issue. Ones, I hate to, dis hate to discourage about this, but when I was at General Assembly, I attended one of them. One, one, of the, one of the seminars was about climate change. I couldn't believe it, what I was hearing. Uh, somebody's drinking the Kool-Aid in our, in our denomination. The culture is trying to shape us, to misshape us, to the shape we have by following the Word of God, by following His principles, is trying to push us and mold us and shape off the truth, this the truth out of our lives. Um, as Christians, we are now alive at a given moment in time here, and an era that is full of significance and position uniquely in the wider story, if you will, of the world. 
as the world moves toward that final chapter that God is bringing us to. But that's not all here, too. The, the men of Issachar, they didn't simply know those signs. They didn't simply know it. They didn't simply know about wokeism, about uh, critical race theory, about climate change, about the, these things. They didn't simply know about them. But they knew how to live in light of them. They had a sense of what to think and how to act and the manner in which to respond. They, they knew that the role their lives had to play in the light of this moment was important, that they had influence, that they, that they could shine, you know, for the Lord. So knowing the signs of the times and, and how to live has to be the most pressing challenge facing us today in the church because... Here's the full extent of the Issachar question. Next, next slide, please, Tom. Um, what is the present challenge against? It's against the Word of God. That's what the challenge is against. It's not against Buddha. It's not against any other world religion. It's against Christianity. It's against a, the, this book here. And even Christians, even holiness colleges, are denying Genesis 1 to 3. That it's just mythology. That it's just that Adam and Eve were just a, a, a myth. That, and the serpent wasn't real. And the garden wasn't real. That's the present challenge. It's against the word of God. The, the status of the, this epic struggle between good and evil, right and wrong. It's, um, and also the direction of culture is the other one, is the next one. That... It's the present challenge against the Word of God. That's where the fun, that's where the issue, the challenge is, and the direction of this culture. Where where's it headed? The nature of the world's this is the word, nature of the world's crisis now. Where's it headed? And then the second question is this: How should I then live? After I discover, how should I live, Lord? How do I live a life of meaning? How do I live a life of consequence, impact, and influence for the cause of Christ? And the last question, most of all, how should the church take its place? How should we as a church, should we, you know, uh, engaging the culture, ministering, you know, Christ to it? You know, ever wonder, Lord, how can we, how can we make better contact with people who, are, who don't know Jesus? You know, you ever think about just going to the coffee shop and just sitting there and praying, saying, Lord, send somebody to me? <laughs> you know, finding somebody, doing something. Lord, somehow, I know the truth. I need to somehow be able to make contact with the world and help somebody who is lost, somebody who is being shaped, who is being told to go this direction when God's Word says go this direction. So, loved ones, do you see the challenge here? Do you see the challenge of being a, a tribe of Issachar, of, of not only knowing what's going on around you, but then also knowing what to do about it, knowing how to live within this, within this culture, to know the signs of the times and how to live? That's our challenge. So praise God, amen, that God has given us His Word, that He's given us uh, his, the truth about the cross, He's given us the, the truth about creation, first of all. He's given us the truth about what sin is and about what his solution is. He has revealed the bad news for us. He's given us his law that shows us that we're sinners. That, you know, he gave us those Ten Commandments and all of us have broken those laws. We're guilty before the Lord. So the law is merciless. The law is harsh against us. 
It doesn't hold any promise of salvation at all. It just shows us that we're wicked. It shows us that we are not ready to meet God. And then God in His love shows us Christ. Christ is His answer to the merciless law that he will, even though when we're guilty of, of sinning against God, He has given us Jesus Christ as our Savior to forgive us of our sins and to transform our lives. Amen. The cross, the empty tomb, promising that we'll have a brand new body and eternal life in the world to come. That this world we know, of it, that what we experience right now is passing away, and we don't want to pass away with it. We want to stand as lights in a wicked generation. Lights of God's love. Like one, one speaker said, and it was such a good thought, he said, we want to know how to sing the song. We, we, we want to know the words of the song. We want to know the truth of God's word. And then we want to sing it sweetly. Sing it in such a way that, that shows people that we love them. That shows people that God loves them. Not in a, you know, not in a milk toast weak way. Uh, you know, a, 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 in a pansy way, but in a, a solid, good, a good way. That where that God, Jesus Christ died for you. His love is certain. God's love is certain for you and His plan of salvation is certain as well. That He will forgive your sins. He will transform your life if you just believe and surrender, repent and surrender your life to Christ. He will. Amen. Well, it's so important that God has a, uh, that we realize how, how much God has given us in His Word. It's so important to realize these signposts that He's given us to direct us so that not any one of us should be lost. Amen. Let's think about that. If you need to pray today, if you'd like to come forward, if you want to talk about Jesus or talk about anything, I can be up here and pray with you and we can talk. But let's keep thinking about that. Let's not leave the building today and just like so many times you think, what? It's kind of like, you know, I, can't, I don't know if I could tell you what I had to eat three days ago. I don't know if I can remember. <laughs> we do that with meals, don't do I don't remember what I had yesterday, you know. But God's Word, we need to make sure that we don't, we don't forget it. That we don't do like, you know, James warned us against uh, looking in a mirror and then walking away forgetting what we look like when we, when we fail to do God's Word, to obey it, and to take in what the, to believe what the Holy Spirit is trying to convey to us. Amen. So let's think about that. Let's stand together. Lord, today as we, as we leave, we know that you are a great and awesome God. Your word revealed it to us that you are, you are good and great. You are holy and almighty in all ways and yet you still know us intricately. You know our lives. You know everything about us. And you care. You care. Your law condemns us, but your grace saves us in Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, today that as we contemplate our circumstances of our, of our culture, of our world, that, Lord, that we will not be dupes and just be pulled along by every wind of philosophy and every wind of doctrine that the culture throws at us. But Lord, help us to be, help us to be learners and believers in your word. 
Help us to be that. That we will be unshakable. That we'll be mounted on the rock of Jesus Christ and not on the sand of foolishness, but on the rock. Oh God, help us to be firm. And Lord, no matter if we're young or old, that we will be firmly grounded on the truth of your word. Pray that we'll also be a light to this world, a light, Lord, a light to uh, people around us. Help us to learn how to talk in a gentle way. Lord, I know sometimes truth is, is pretty harsh. It, it kind of rubs the wrong way against people, but help us to at least apply the harshness with loving kindness. Help us to learn how to, how to sing the truth, we pray. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for your kind listening today. We love you.